Welcome to Newsworthy with Norisworthy. Get ready for some awesome. Welcome back to the show. Today we have on the podcast a man who needs no introduction, but I'm going to give him one anyway. This is a man who I once was on an airplane flying out of South Bend, Indiana, and sitting next to me was a young woman, uh, a young mother, who uh, used to attend a church called the Granger Community Church. I think that's the name. Granger's what they refer to it as. And I said, yes, I'm friends with the former teaching pastor there. His name's Jason Miller. And she said, and I quote, oh, he knows his sh- Except she <laughs> completed the expletive, which I'm not going to um, because of my high character. Uh, so, Jay, is that something that you try to instill in your parishioners at Granger? That your identity was known as the person who knows his uh, poo Well, it's funny because I feel like uh, there's a fine line between knowing your crap and knowing crap. Mm, yes. <laughs> I'm not sure if she meant that I know my crap or if I just don't. Like That phrase can work a few different ways. Yeah. Especially in this context. I could definitely see that. <laughs> but knowing the intent behind that based on the context both before and after, she meant that as a compliment, as a way of saying that you are well prepared and uh, a thoughtful That's human really being. Kind. Yeah. Um, That's really kind. Yeah, I wouldn't, I, I've never said that about you, but it's nice that she did. So, anyway, there you go. Thanks for that. That was one of the nicer introductions you've given me. Well, okay. Uh, I, I got a uh, question for you as we begin. There was a uh, a tweet on the Twitter that I uh, saw that involved some of our uh, alumni of the Jason Palooza podcast, uh, including Jonathan Merritt, Annie Downs, myself. You were excluded. Here's the tweet. Um, this is from a woman named Misa. Um, I don't know where she's from. I can't find that. But she says, Oh, my kiddos discussing some of the podcasts I listen to on repeat. Jonathan Merritt is... The wordsmith dude, okay? So that's his moniker, the wordsmith dude. Annie Downs is the let's be friends chick, and I quote, and again, this is a full quote, and my fave, Luke Norrisworthy, is the Chuck Norris pastor. So, the Chuck Norris pastor? Yeah. What does that even mean? Uh, I don't know. I think it just means uh, from Texas, um, like Chuck. Subject of many bad jokes? I, I think it's a term of endearment about uh, both my spirituality and my ability to defend and take care of my family in times wow. of crisis. Possibly that. So my question would be, if Jonathan is the wordsmith dude, Annie is the let's uh-huh. be friends chick, uh, uh-huh. I, I have the Chuck Norris moniker, I, I guess you would be the guy who knows his crap? Is that, is that yeah, who I'll you would be? Yeah, I'll go with that. I'll take that. Okay. Some, somebody needs to, so it might as well be me. <laughs> Okay. I'll take that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm happy to. Okay. That's good. Thanks for that. Well, all right. Congrats. You look good. You got a bit of a, is that like a three-day beard you're working on there? Uh, yeah, it is. I mean, for a normal man, that would be about a five o'clock shadow, <laughs> but for you, I just think that's like a three-day beard. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, you know, it is what it is. I, uh, I'm just kind of letting it grow out a little bit. I'll, I'll shave it soon though. Don't worry. As long as you don't try that COVID mustache thing again, because that was really hard to look at. Why? I feel like I was onto something. No, there was a period there where like five of my friends were all doing COVID mustaches at the mm-hmm. same time. And one of them was like at my house for dinner. It was Carp. And I, I couldn't, you know, sorry, uh, Luke knows my friend Carp. I couldn't look him in the face. I could not actually look at him. This is friend of the show, Amanda Carpenter's husband. That's right. Who goes yep. by the moniker Carp. So you couldn't look at him. 
I couldn't look at it. I actually yeah. had had it all shaved, ready to go uh, with the mustache. The rest of my face was all cleaned up. And I was walking out the door for church one morning. I was like, okay, I got this. It's like a couple weeks of mustache. You were going to go preach with the mustache? I was going to. Like, I had a picture. Oh, I was man. ready to go. And then I just, um, I don't know. I think I was, uh, I was like the Israelites. I became afraid. I was like Peter. <laughs> And I took my eyes off Jesus, and I began to look at the wind of the waves. And so in a moment of weakness, I cut it off. I, it kind of sounds like you repented, which is a really good thing to do before you preach. Mm. You say repent, I say moral failure, whichever one. I felt like it was a failure to, to cut it off. But my, um, I feel like my, my family and my daughters were all happy with that decision for some reason. I bet they were. And your friends who have to look at you on FaceTime. <laughs> What's uh, Any other like uh, COVID... like? I feel like the mustache thing was a COVID thing for some people. We're what, like on month 27 of COVID. Anything lately that is part of your life that hasn't been before COVID? Hmm. Do you have an answer to that question already for yourself? Not off the top of my head, no. Yeah, no, I don't know if there's really anything that's substantially different other than just like a general depression that's just there. <laughs> that's, a melancholy. That's just there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, no, I don't know. Um, in some ways, like our, like our girls are back in... Uh, cheerleading and so they're starting to get back in their normal routines our kids are going to be out of school for three weeks and then after that i think they're going to have the option to go back in or stay online and so we're starting to feel like a little bit of normalcy but um yeah no nothing anything big big change for you no similar like i mean not normal in the sense that like i'm like i'm pretty religious about my face mask and like but in other ways i do feel like uh kind of settled into like this is what it is. And at least it's summer out. So be outside, be with people outside, yep. not feel so uh, stuck with cabin fever, but yeah, I, things feel normal is not the right word. Um, but I guess it just, I, maybe it feels like we've all adapted a little bit. Yeah. So, oh, that's exactly right. Yeah. We definitely have adapted. Yeah. Now you're not talking about the, there are some instrumental changes in your life that have appeared in, in where you live. I guess you don't want to talk about, there's a, piano and a cello it's a piano and a cello yeah, yeah well the piano's awkward because i live in a townhome so i got a piano and i don't play it because i'm trying to be a good neighbor mm. and so uh i think once i got back and all of the neighbor's cars were gone from the parking garage and so i got to play it for like 30 minutes and uh and then i got a cello i'm renting a cello how where where does one rent a cello is there is that a high anywhere thing? really is there like yeah, a, like every every middle school and high school in the country, you know, has like an orchestra with kids whose parents aren't going to pay for a cello, f- oh. like outright. So mm-hmm. it's actually like all over the place. Really? So if yeah. I wanted just to get some of that S curve action in my house, I could just find <laughs> it's it's known as an F curve, not F, an S curve. F, you know, whatever. It looks more like an S than an F. And it's it's <laughs> that's actually not the whole name of it. But we'll we'll move on from that. Okay. Um, hey, I was reaching out. I was trying to make build a bridge to you. I feel like if Uncle Jay is going to have the influence that I should have in your daughter's lives, we're going to get those girls into school music before long. Yeah, that's something. Um, that is definitely something that would be brought on by you. And uh, <laughs> Has that ever been a conversation? Like, if any of the girls wanted to play an instrument? I think I told them if they don't clean the room, they're going to have to play the tuba. I think that... <laughs> is that what you mean? Like, isn't that how old Steve... And you probably picked the tuba because, I don't know, it's like good for core strength or something? It is really good for core strength. You know, the thing about core strength, a lot of people think is, is it's about sit-ups. It's really not. It's, uh, it's about anti-rotational and the ability to maintain a tight core even with a load on your shoulders or, dare I say, in the front rack position, which is what I would say a tuba <laughs> is. 
<laughs> you, you and I have had a bizarre number of conversations about anti-rotational core strength lately. It's really important. I think it's it's overlooked. People love the sit-ups. They love the crunches, but they're missing the real mm. the real thing core is about. Core strength is about. Anyway, that's what we're here for. Newsworthy or noiseworthy? Fitness I was edition. Say, that's pretty newsworthy. Yeah. Do you think we should talk about church or Steve talking about uh, fitness? Uh, I think if we talk about fitness for much longer, I'm going to stop being a very useful conversation partner. Mm-hmm. So I think we should we should pivot to an area where I have more experience. Speaking of useful, do you know uh, we're in the 20 plus weeks? I think it's 21, 22 weeks since we've had. Um, like a, a normal Sunday morning worship service that, uh, you know, that what normal was back then. Do you know the last time the Westover Hills Church of Christ had a normal worship service, do you know who was preaching that day? Was that you and me? Yeah. Yeah, you showed was that the Was that the last one before things shut down? Yes. Oh, yeah. wow. So how do you feel about that, knowing that you were directly connected to the last service that we've had at Westover that felt uh, somewhat normal? Yeah, it's kind of heartwarming. I mean, I'm glad to know that they got some competent preaching in before <laughs> everything disbanded for a while. There's another uh, kind of mentality that you actually caused this to happen. Yeah, I think that'd be pretty hard to, uh, to prove. Mm, I don't it, know. It's funny because I feel like uh, being with you is one of the last things that happened to me before I had to give up meeting with my church. So maybe you caused this to happen. Nah, nah, that's not right. That's not right at all. So it has been uh, weeks and weeks, and SBCC C has something really like unique going on, that you are actually having some worship gatherings in a yeah. now-empty baseball stadium, because minor league yeah. baseball is basically you know done for the year. And so it is the Cubs affiliate that's in South Bend. Is it like the double yep. A team? Single A. Single A, okay. Yep. How, how, many, how many minor league teams are there? Do you know? <laughs> I just knew we were going there. No, I have no idea. You have no idea? No idea. No idea. But yeah, the, uh, our church building where we meet is just right across the street, basically, from uh, where the South Bend Cubs play ball. And so they've been really great neighbors to us and are working with us on... Uh, doing outdoor gatherings on Sunday nights, which is just great because we can spread out. It's like, you know, it's a big, like thousands of seats and we don't need thousands of seats. So everybody can get their own little spot of the stadium and use the Jumbotron and do worship and teaching. And it's outdoors, which seems like that's safer from what we understand. Yep. And that's going to at least give us, um, It's we're going to at least have, you know, a, a handful of weeks here in the fall before the weather turns and we go back to whatever that looks like. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, going into this, you know that uh, we have no clue how long this is going to last. And with the weather in South Bend, doing something outdoors is, uh, it, it is, it's a liminal period. Uh, there will eventually <laughs> be a time in which it will be untenable outside. There and, will be winter. Yep. Yes. Winter is coming, as the HBO <laughs> kids tell us. That's right. That's right. So you look at this, this is a short period of time for y'all. And um, what kind of pressure do you f- feel? for yourself right now is going, it has been months since your congregation had an opportunity to have like a normal in-person gathering. And you know, you've got a couple weeks of this and then all of a sudden things are not going to be even available to you because, you know, being in that room is not an option. Is is that uh, state of Indiana sort of policy? No, I think um, it's been confusing because they keep changing things, but I think technically churches have been, had an exemption carved out the whole time. Okay. uh, Which just blows my mind because I, I mean, I'm all for freedom of religion. I just don't think COVID cares whether it's a religious gathering hmm. or not. 
so I, like our sense has been, you know, if public health is telling us that it's not wise to be together in large groups indoors, that seems like the church should care about that too. Right. So mm. anyway, I, I think, I think, um, Honestly, because we came to that resolve as a team, I'm a little fuzzy on what the actual rules are right now because we're not looking for the exception. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so uh, I think I think it might be like gatherings of up to 250 are allowed right now with but but with social distance maintained and all that stuff. Yeah. And the room that you guys meet in, one of the things that's really nice about it is that it's a very intimate feel, and so social distancing would be. Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty cozy. It's you know, it's shoulder to shoulder, and and we sit in the round, so everybody's facing each other so everybody would be projecting covid yeah. at one another yeah. potentially yeah it is just yeah. a, a, a covid party right there um yeah, that's right so as you're doing this you're thinking uh you know you've got a couple gatherings outdoors and then from there on who who knows uh as i mean you think about it, you know 20 plus weeks ago no one imagined that this would be something that went on for oh, man for yeah. months and months and months and yep. right now i think the 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 wisdom says we don't really know how how much longer it's yeah. going to go on. Yeah. I think we, um, like, I think we're assuming, you know, we'll do through the fall if we can outdoors and then we'll go back to digital only, uh, at least, at least to the end of the calendar year. Mm-hmm. It, it's just hard to imagine. That's not the case. I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, there, um, I heard somebody else say this and I thought it was really helpful, uh, about leading through chaos. And they said, um, when you can't, when you, when you don't have certainty, you still have to offer clarity yep. as a leader. Yep. And so I think we've been thinking through, like, we're, we're not certain as a church, but how do we still communicate clarity to our, to our church about where we are and, and where we think we're going? Yeah. So that's been heavy on our mind. What, when you're speaking of the clarity of this is where we're going, wh- what does that sound like for y'all? Some of that is like, um, like one piece was like early on, we just said, hey, just so you know, um, as things are like opening back up in Indiana, like in the last six weeks or whatever, we just try to communicate like um, we do not have a date in the calendar when we think we will be back in our regular space. So even that is like more clarity than leaving people wondering what the changing situation means. Yeah. And now I think it's us telling people that whenever we're done at the cup stadium, um, just telling them we like, like I said, like we don't think we'll be back in Studebaker one twelve uh, before January 1st. Mm-hmm. So at least just set that in your mind, you know, like embrace it, get used to it. And if it changes, we'll let you know. But ra- rather than rather than just completely open ended with no dates or ideas on the calendar, just yeah, just as much communication as you can. And I think that's something that we've tried to do is, you know, we're going to give you updates, even if the updates is is you know we don't know what's next. Yeah. So, yep. I, so yep. I feel like there's a tension in this time of we want to be creative, we want to do something, we want to uh, you know offer something that can mean encouragement and a blessing to the church as a leader. And so you have this desire, like, let's do some creative, let's, let's, you know, put something out there. And then there's also the other side of, yeah, but how much like just busy work are we doing? How much yes. are we just like doing something so that we can f- have a sense of we're accomplishing something, even if it's not actually being as productive as we think we are. Yeah. I, I feel like I felt so much sympathy for, um, so it's like in South Bend, at least we, we don't, like when COVID hit, like we don't have a video team, we don't film our services or anything. So we didn't really have any of those tools in house. And so um, we didn't really have anything out of the gate besides our podcast. And we've been trying to build out things that are helpful, but I watched a lot of communities and felt a lot of sympathy because it seemed like there was this expectation that you would just like come out guns blazing with, you know, all this incredible content and that like COVID wasn't going to get you down and the church was going to be strong. 
And I don't know about you, but like I know I talk to pastor friends every week right now, and they are just exhausted. Yeah. And I know that's not different than other lines of work. I know a lot of lines of work are exhausting. Parenting is exhausting right now. Yep. But I just, I just think um, it's, a really, it's a really heavy burden if you feel like you have to just sort of crank out incredible things in the middle of all this going on. You know? yep. There has to be a way that we create space for people to be able to say, hey, I'm really exhausted I am discouraged. I am down. I am, you know, I'm overwhelmed to create space yeah. for that. And there is this, there is some sort of encouragement that comes from saying, okay, you know, we're going to get through this and we've got this. And, you know, the, the positivity and reminder of, okay, there is uh, some reason for hope or whatever. Uh, but I feel like there's also a need for us to be able to make space and to be vulnerable and say, hey, this is pretty overwhelming. And, you know, there's a meme that our friend uh, Fate Haygood put out a while ago where he said, uh, you know, all those people who say something like, hey, if you weren't there for me during COVID, then you're not there for me ever. If you're not there for me right now, oh, then I'm a real friend. And you got to go, well, you know, some people aren't there for you because they're going through something too. They're going through something yes. as well. And mm. how, how do we foster the mentality of not only are you down, but other people are going through something as well? The old, the old adage of, you know, you know, be kind to the people around you because everyone's fighting their own battle or fighting the battle. How do we create that with, with this sort of time where everyone's just so easy to like kind of snip at each other and, you know, get upset yeah. because you're not saying the right thing or doing the right thing. Yeah. I don't know the answer, but I relate to that. Uh, we, we, so we had one gathering already at Four Winds Field and, um, we, if, if, if it were a normal Sunday back in our regular space, we would often do an open floor mm-hmm. where we would put a prompt or a question out and have people respond. Uh, we couldn't do that in the stadium very well, but we still wanted to like, it's just a part of our ethos to hear from the church. Yeah. And so um, Ryan, my teammate, came up with a great idea. Just having, we just gave everybody like a, um, a big kind of poster card. Mm-hmm. And then we asked a bunch of questions. People kind of raised their card when the answer was yes for them. Mm-hmm. And so it was everything from, you know, raise your card if you or someone you know has actually been infected by COVID. Uh, raise your card if you or somebody you know or love is in danger of losing something permanently during COVID, mm-hmm. whether it's a job loss or you're losing your home or, uh, or like losing a loved one or anyway. So we went through this litany of questions and man, I got, I got um, very choked up just immediately, you know, seeing a, a, a group of people and remembering um, that all these like headlines in the news represent really real lives and experiences. Yep. And it's not just unemployment numbers nationally. It's your neighbors unemployed. It's members of my church. And uh, that really softened me. Um, Cause I think I can feel kind of brittle and um, my defenses are up a little bit right now. Yeah. And then I saw that and it really softened me. Yeah. Do you think there are ways that we can honor without trivializing and, and, and not give into the temptation to like trivialize the individual experience? Oh man, um, I, I assume that's kind of what you guys were doing to some extent. Yeah, I think. I mean, I don't. I, I also think about like how many times in the last couple of months have we seen somebody who was uh, like a public figure who was like who was dismissing COVID until like they got it yeah. or one of their loved ones got it, and all of a sudden their tone changes, and you just see how bad we are at having an emotional connection to like broad strokes and numbers yeah. but how when it's like a person with a face and a name and a story how it like changes everything right i think we could probably use more of that right now yeah i think so too from from my experience you know i've had you know my in-laws have, have all had it um you know my wife's 
you know, grandma and grandpa and, you know, there's a, just a lot of people in her family that all had it at the same time. And, you know, Lindsay, probably two months into this, tested positive for the antibodies. So we kind of assumed that she had it or she was exposed to it while working at the hospital and, you know, didn't have yeah. any symptoms to it. And so it, it seems like that's kind of like the normal experience for the overwhelming majority of people. And yet they're still, you know, the stories we hear, like the, obviously the Herman Cain story is pretty front and center of, you know, someone who was, um, he was negative towards uh, some more cautious behaviors as someone in his 70s. And yeah, uh, it, it, it's easy for some to want to, in some ways, like use that as an example. Hey, this is what's wrong with some people. Um, but man, I, I feel like we, if the church can do anything in a time like this, it's to step back and go, you can still have your strong convictions about what the right direction forward is for our country. You can still have your strong opinion about what the right thing for us to do is, but you still have to honor and respect the image of God and the people who you disagree with. Yeah, that's right. It's it's also crazy to me that um, it's funny how anything can become partisan. Yeah. You know, like I, I would think that if we like rewound five years and got a bunch of Republicans and Democrats together and just pitched to them this scenario, hypothetically, the one that we're in right now, but you don't tell them about the part of the politics or anything. You just tell them, hey, this, this pandemic strikes the entire planet and the science, you know, gains clarity. And as it gains clarity, it turns out that masks are useful. Yeah. Like, and then you, and then you just ask them, like, is that partisan? And I, I feel like that group would be like, no, but like, it just seems like anything now is fodder for a partisan cage match, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, I think as a pastor, it's really challenging. Like, how do you not? How do you not sort of become a pawn in partisan games, but how do you still call people to like, like how does the church claim issues for herself if Republicans have claimed them or Democrats have claimed them? Yeah. It's like, maybe that's not a Republican issue or a Democrat issue. Maybe that's a love your neighbor issue. Yeah. Well, like when we, the policy that we created, when we said, if you want to come back to having a socially distant service, if you're going to be here, we want you to wear a mask. And we try to couch everything in the language of, Christianity. It's it's to love your neighbor. It is we're doing this as a way to, you know, give people expectations about what to experience if they do want to attend, but also because this is a way to love our neighbors. And I think I think our job to some degree is to be very careful to let all of the political rhetoric get ironed out of what we say and to some way strip some of that stuff away so that it doesn't become as polarized as everything else is in society right now. I think that's right, man. I had a, um, so our church, uh, released a, a list of resources for a church that wants to fight for black lives. Mm-hmm. And of course, alongside all the COVID stuff, we've got, um, a lot of unrest and, and protest around injustice happening. And so we, we, as, as a church community, like on the reading list, it, you know, it said, um, everyone an icon, which is our mantra yep. as a church and then black lives matter. Um, and, and a member of our community, um, a guy, I'm cra- he's a great guy. He, he cornered me at the gym. <laughs> And um, we had a good conversation, but he he was really concerned about um, his perception of BLM as an organization and some of their goals and the church using that language. And um, I just had to like, I had to like t- ask him, I'm like, hey, we should claim the truth wherever we find it, right? It's not about left or right or which political party, right? He's like, yeah, that's what I love about our church. <laughs> I was like... And like black lives do matter, right? Yeah. Like can we, just that. Can we just like I'm trying to I'm trying to draw you out of the partisan bickering. 
could we could I draw you out into like some space that doesn't belong to the parties? And could we just have a conversation about the truth? And uh, I don't know if that was a helpful conversation for him. I think it was. But I, I feel like right now a lot of ground that the church should claim is being taken by the parties, mm-hmm. um, whatever the issue may be. Yeah. And once one of the parties claims it, the church can't touch it. Yeah. And I just think that's crazy, right? Like, then we're, we're just giving away more and more of our moral witness to either party, whatever the issue may be, rather than being like, no, 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 this is Jesus territory, yeah. <laughs> right? Whether it's loving your neighbor, whether it's looking out for the victims of injustice, this is not party territory, this is Jesus territory. But I think um, that's getting, it feels like that space is getting squeezed out more and more unless we get really smart and really brave about how to push back a little bit. And, and I don't know if we have, because like you said, it has been going on for a long time. I mean, the history of the American church's response to abortion is heavily uh, couched in, you know, the religious right. And, you know, there are receipts to this, and, um, you know, there's, uh, you know, we've talked about it on the podcast before, but the genesis of the evangelical church caring about abortion is the religious right saying, hey, this is something we can do to get religious voters to side with the Republican yeah, Party. Now, right. I'm going to say this, I, I, I'm not a disagreeing that, you know, abortion is something that the church seems to historically be against something like that and the sanctity of all lives. But from the very beginning, like, uh, abortion became an issue because... The, the political machine wanted to use it. And I think we have to be aware of that while also still saying, we're going to join you on some of these issues, but you you don't get our full and final vote on what matters most. And so like, yeah. that's the tension of how do we say, okay, we do care for black lives and we do believe black lives matter. And we do believe that the experience of black people is not equitable in America. But all of a sudden to say that seems like you're making a political statement in terms of a partisan political statement, which not everyone feels comfortable with. And that's a tough thing. Yeah. What's weird about it, though, is, you know, the argument is always, yeah, but do you know what they say about X, Y, and Z? Right. Which, if you're involved in anything politically in America, there's an X, Y, and Z on every side of the subject. Like, there's, there's um, compromising attachments attached to most, yeah. most uh, public views and groups and organizations and, like, if you're, yeah, if you can't say anything that is also said by a group that's problematic, mm-hmm. you're going to be left with very little that you can say. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I, 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 when it comes to Christians and the politics, I've been I'm kind of gearing up to teach this fall. And, uh, and this might be like a strange image, but it's the one that comes to mind for me. And I, I'm just trying to work out how to use it. But um, you know the artist Avicii? Say again. The artist Avicii, the EDM artist. Oh yeah, the EDM guy. Yes, I love his stuff. You don't. You, I, I promise you know Avicii. You don't know you know Avicii, but huge, huge, huge uh, uh, EDM artist. It, it didn't. Is it? Didn't he pass away recently? He died. Yeah. He died. Yeah, really tragically. Um, and the, a documentary came out after he died that they filmed right before he died. Oh, wow. And what's crazy about it is you you're watching this film and um, he is he's you know he, his music is immensely popular. He's flying all over the world doing shows and a lot of people are making a lot of money off of him. And you can see in the documentary that there is this whole apparatus around him, this sort of machine, like the people that are around him that are uh, kind of managing his life and figuring out what to do with his music. And you, you see in him what I think is a pretty pure artist. Like the dude, you can just tell, like he really lives for the music. He loves the music. But he's um, he has these really intense health problems. He's hospitalized for this really intense pain mm. in the middle of a tour. And 
I went into the documentary thinking about like Avicii seems really powerful, meaning he's a uh, making millions and millions of dollars and he's flying all over the world and performing for tens of thousands of people. But the more you watch the documentary, the more you realize for the people like I don't I don't know that he would I think the people around him were using him more than they were helping him. Mm-hmm. And I think it killed him. And I think um, you might think that, oh, this whole apparatus is, is making him powerful. But in fact, he's just their product. And there's something about that where like you think you're really empowered, but you're actually just being used. And I think that's a lot of what we have to watch out for in the relationship between like us as Christians and politicians who are willing to tell us what we want to hear to get our vote and might even do things we like to get our vote. And we think that we're being empowered, but we may not just, we, we might need to ask if we're just being used. Wow. Like, I think there's a lot there that we have to think about. Yeah. I think that's pretty where, yeah, you say the right things, you get this big voter block on your side, but who who's really the one getting something out of it? Yeah, which is why left or right. Yeah. Why like I think we got to be really careful that we like individually and then like in our church communities like that we that we forge identities that run deeper. Um like I I think Jesus is political. Like I think yeah. you can't follow Jesus without that carrying you into how you how you vote and how you how we build the world that we're building. Mm-hmm. But I think like we just better, there's just a lot of thought that we ought to put into making sure that our fidelity runs deeper than a party mm-hmm. that are, you know, that it runs toward Christ and that we are maintaining that fidelity in a way that when we come to a conflict between the party that has won our heart because they said the right things to us, a conflict between the party and Christ that like we have enough that we've dug our deeps root so deeply, or dug our roots so deeply in Christ that we're going to stay with wherever Christ takes us rather than where the politics takes yeah, us. Yeah, and it's a trust that the way of Christ has power and it has influence and that you don't need yes. to bow your knee to, you know, the devil so that you get the kingdoms of this the world. The kingdoms of this world. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's basic, right. yeah, you know, that's right. second or third temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. But it's to trust that there's power in the kingdom of God. Now, to balance out your servici metaphor, which I love. Uh, Avici. Avici. Is the, is the food named after him, though? That's no ceviche. Is that the, that's not the same thing? That's not named after him. Okay. D- no, no, not to my knowledge. Didn't know that. Okay. Well, let's uh, bounce it out. I, I had a a book that I read for a podcast that fell through by a uh, football player named Deshaun Watson, and uh, I'm still upset about that. Oh, that's why you're talking to me. Am I am I the uh, plan B for this week? Is that you're what the we're backup? Doing this? No, it would have ran okay. last week and whatever. Um, yeah. When I was thinking of, I need an athletic person to replace top five NFL quarterback, I thought you. Like, you're, you're basically yeah, that, Desha- exactly. Deshaun Watson. Um, but in his book, he talked about how he felt powerless to be able to speak about things. And I, I was really thinking, like, this doesn't make any sense. Like, this is a guy who, you know, played a national championship game multiple times, won a national championship, first-round draft pick, you know, had, had a great deal of notoriety in, you know, playing big-time college football, you know, quarterback at, in Houston, and yet he still felt powerless and so i'm processing to go well if this guy feels this way how many of us without that following and fame and and you know financial resources as well feel like there is not power in where i currently am and i think that's like that's the temptation of you know politics to say you come to us we will give you the kingdoms of this world but you're gonna have to bow your knee to me now i think there's another way to do i think there's a way to to use politics for what we believe is right without giving them our final word. I 100% agree with that, but I think you have to always have to be aware that there is a precarious dance that you're stepping into. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's like how do you how do you do what you can so that the kingdoms of this world bow to the kingdom of God? Yeah. Rather than try, rather than the other way around. Yeah. And I think the church has to be a voice, and it has to have its own message, and it has to not be, um, you know, truncated into just something that you know politics uses to get its ultimate end. And I, I think that takes a lot of work because the easiest, I think, yeah. playing the political option, I think that's really easy. And here, I had uh, Brueggemann was on the podcast a couple of years ago. And one of the things he said is, uh, you know, we, we go to church 50, 50 Sundays a year, and then one Sunday a year we should go uh, go to the voting booth, which, like, I, like I, objectively, I think voting is, you know, a, a way that we Im- use the power we have to hopefully support the ways of God in a very muddled and complex, uh, you know, partisan system where, you know, I'm not saying one is perfect and the other is, you know, flawed. I'm saying they're, they're both flawed. But the idea that, like, voting is the only thing we do, that seems to be the most problematic thing. Yeah, that that one day in November is the only political day in our lives, mm-hmm. rather than that, like, every day offers opportunities for acts of fidelity and obedience yeah. to Christ, which end up being political yeah. as we, like, build the world and use our power for our neighbor, right? Yeah, I, I just got, I was emailing with someone recently who was talking about uh, the, the importance of speaking about abortion. And his response is, you know, I, we've got this uh, this place that we're thinking about using for Airbnb. We're going to rent it out, but then we decided because we want to support uh, pregnant women, we want to you know create this as a free place for people to live so that they don't have an abortion. And so that's a great like you, you believe this is the right thing to do, and you're not just going to vote about it, but you're actually going to put your finances and your energy into creating an opportunity to create a different reality for these individuals. And I think that's. That's for, for far more like the way of Jesus, which is rarely power over, and it's almost always power under people to support and to mm. serve instead of to, to force. Have you uh, have you ever done like a just uh, direct teaching series on politics? Uh, nope. I was uh, okay. Have you before? Uh, no, not not like a full on. So this will be this will be new for me. Yeah, whose idea was that but for we, you to do that? I think it was mine. No, Did you tell I me told to you. I, I this was my idea. I was already doing this. <laughs> there was a group of us doing it together. And I invited you to join us. Oh, that was on First Peter. But it was First Peter as like using whatever. Okay, go ahead, Mister. <laughs> hey, I preach so much on politics, and I'm an expert on this. Well, the joke was that uh, we uh, we haven't tried to blow up the church in a little while, so it seemed like it'd be time to. Take a swing at yeah, it. Yeah, um, what better time to do that than when everyone's just watching you on a screen when you can't actually have real engagement yeah. with people? No, I will say that's actually the huge loss is if there were ever a topic where I think it's important for us to be uh, together and also like to come to the table every week. Mm-hmm. Like we're going to talk about some things that feel divisive, but we're also going to come to the table and remember what unites us. Like, so I'm, I'm really sad because the plan to do this kicked in before COVID hit, but I also just... I don't know. And we also, um, here in South Bend, like we've had some political overtones in our, in our neighborhood. Really? Our mayor ran for president. Oh, really? I didn't know <laughs> that. What is, what is your neighbor's name? Yeah. Uh, Pete Buttigieg mm. ran for president. And uh, like he did his announcement of his campaign in the same building as our church. On, on Palm, Palm Sunday. Sunday. Yeah. yeah. Did he ride so a donkey being, into the... <laughs> <laughs> uh, Point being, we've we've had it's it's kind of brushed close to us a little bit, so I think we have to talk about it. But I'm yep. sad that we lost the um, 
the chance to do it in person. Do you think you could get uh, Mayor Pete in the same way that Scott Saul, so the governor of uh, Tennessee, and then Michael Weir? Like, so you have two different political representatives. Uh, oh, did he do that? Yeah, he did that. Oh man, I don't, I don't, I don't know if that'd be useful for. I us. think you get uh, you get Mayor Pete, and then you get like um, you know one of uh, President Trump's sons or daughters. Let's get a. I mean, hey, we could do we could do Pence and Pete. You know, Pence was our governor. Yeah. That would be perfect. And then that you could do something like alliterative idea. with the two Ps. Pence, Pete, and the pastor. Yep, Talk about it. politics. That's it. That's it. Okay. Well, I feel like we've got your marketing already done for that, so make that happen. <laughs> uh, is, is there anything new that your church has been doing during this time? Uh, any resources you stumbled into or anything that's been... Uh... Yeah, a couple things that have been helpful. Um, we uh, jumped in with OnSite, which is a Tennessee-based uh, group that does a lot of really powerful work around emotional wellness and mental health. Mm-hmm. And so they have a 30-day online program. Um, Onsite's mostly known for in-person programs, yep. sort, of, sort of intensives. But uh, So we invited our church. We could do like a discount code. And, and some of the care money that people in our church have given, we were able to use to provide some free registrations. So that was like a 30-day thing where you could log in and uh, do a little bit of um, just sort of some, a little bit of a tune-up, you know, like yep. uh, practices like gratitude or... Um, what are you contending with right now? And then uh, we did like a weekly Zoom call with people if they wanted to like actually have sort of a discussion group about what they were working through. Yeah. So that's been good. Um, I think the other one that we've been on the hunt for, we've, we've had some luck, but we could use more luck, is just finding resources for, um, like like when we're at Four Winds Field doing church, like when we gather for worship and prayer and scripture, how, like how do we sing songs that talk about what we're facing rather than ignoring it? Yeah. You know, and a lot of worship songs, I think, this isn't to say they're all bad, but a lot of worship songs, like you could sing them anywhere at any time because they're kind of abstract and universal. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that's all bad. There's a, there's a piece of like in the transcendence of God that is universal and it, it's not about the particularities, right? But then there's the other piece, which is the imminence, which is um, how do we sing about justice? How do we sing about pandemic? How do we sing about... Um, where we're at right now in America in a way that allows us to lament and to call on God. So um, I know you and I were just talking about this, but Common Hymnal is a group that we've found really helpful for songs that we can sing mm-hmm. that enter into the fray rather than pretending it's not happening right now. Yeah, no, that's good. I stumbled into them and uh, been listening to them over the last day or two. And yeah, I think you're definitely right that they have some stuff that really speaks in a poignant way to what's, what's happening right now. And from my experience, finding something in our, you know, collective hymnody that speaks to lament is is tough, let alone justice. I think justice is almost never talked about. And so it's great to see yeah. com- conversations like that or or opportunities like that to use that kind of stuff to help us lament in a in a public way. Yeah, what about you? I mean, I was going to say that since I literally posted it on Insta today. Um, but you <laughs> Is that how you claimed it? Like I literally did do that. So there is a a record of that and then you bring that up so thanks a lot for that no yeah no no i think those are great resources though um i i think everyone's trying to use technology in the best way possible right now it seems like there's a shelf life for it like where there obviously was like enthusiasm and excitement about hey let's do this uh you know digital kind of communication which you know i've been doing for seven years in the podcast and you know it, it is what it is it's fine but it it always leaves something lacking. You know what I've been kind of curious about? I've been surprised at how few churches I've seen 
but let me back up. Like a, like take a Sunday morning, right? You, the, all the components of a typical Sunday morning, like songs, prayers, mm-hmm. teaching, scripture, Eucharist, if you're together or whatever, um, giving. Um, I think all those hold together really nice and they make sense when you gather, when you can actually be together. But like if we're in a moment when you're only going to experience stuff online, mm-hmm. it's actually been a little surprising to me that more churches haven't thought about like, do all those things need to hold together? Like, hmm. like if, if, you know, like, um, uh, uh, shoot, they used to be called Trinity Grace, uh, Good Shepherd, New York. Yep. That's where Mike Redzina's at and David Gunger and our friend Jonathan is part of that church. Um, like they've done it. They've just created some really beautiful, um, sort of short films of songs that they're not in a worship service. They're not, they have no connection to like a Sunday morning thing. They're just like really beautiful songs and prayers that are really appropriate right now. Or, um, you know, like a guided meditation or a, uh, a prayer or teaching as a standalone. I just like, I think going to church, like physically going and being together in a room together, it makes sense to have the liturgy that we often have. But I think, if the question is how do we use the internet to help people um, continue to worship and to study the scriptures and to walk with Christ, it just seems like there's a lot of questions we're not really asking right now about yeah. w- what's the best way to do that on the internet. And is it a 70 minute thing that like we produce that's meant to look just like Sunday morning, you know? Yeah. Now the, the benefit of that is that it, there is some sense of normalcy and it connects you back to, that's fair. what, what yeah. was there, but then you also go well. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, if this is going to be going on for a while, how long is that really going to connect in the way that mm-hmm. it did up front? And you know, twenty plus weeks in, what should we be doing? What, what's the right move? You know, who knows? Yeah, and I, I don't mean to say it's like wrong for churches to do that. I just, no, I didn't. You weren't I saying mean, that. I, yeah, it'd be fun to see more experimentation out there, and maybe, maybe I'm not. Maybe it's happening, and I'm not seeing it, yeah. but. Seems like there's a lot of things we could try right now. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Well, uh, Jay, I feel like we solved a lot of uh, problems. Everything. Justice, Corona, politics. Your mustache. Mm, I feel like that was more just, uh, you know, foreshadowing for maybe what's going to happen. <laughs> no, no, that was accountability, brother. No, no, it wasn't. <laughs> no, it wasn't. Well, Jay, um, good stuff, man. Thanks for coming back on the podcast. And, yeah, good to be here, man. Did Thanks. you feel like you came up with a new moniker for you? Besides just a guy who knows his crap? Oh, another one. Uh, I, I don't know if it, like over the conversation you thought of one. Maybe the listeners should, should answer if they, they got one for you. But uh, Yeah, I mean, I'm not on Twitter these days, but uh, so I don't know where I'll see you're that. You're missing but. so much good stuff. Cause I'm, Am I? Is Twitter where a lot of really beautiful, redemptive things are happening right now? Yeah, no. I, yeah, I've... I mean, besides your tweets, of course. Which, there's like three tweets a week that I'm putting out, if that... So, yeah, I find social media to be f- f- more cantankerous right now, and I appreciate like some links to resources that I should check out. But I find myself uh, less engaged in that than I used to be. And can can I give your pastor listeners one? Can I plead with them to read one thing right now? Uh, there is one thing I would like for you to plead with them about, and that's well. I'm assuming your listeners have already read uh, "Befriending Your Monsters" because. Uh, it's a fantastic read, and you give so much to your listeners. The least they could do is listen to your book or read it. But that's not what I was going to say. Oh, today. I, I was talking about the Bible. But uh, yeah, I mean, if you want to talk about <laughs> Befriending Your Monsters, which is now available on Amazon and other uh, fine retailers across this country uh, and world, for that matter. Yeah, I mean, that's a great option, too. If they want to you know, 
go read it, buy it, listen to it, uh, leave a good review on Amazon. Yeah, that's great too if you wanted to do that. Yeah, once they've read it and left a good review on Amazon, then the next thing they should do after they read the Bible cover to cover is Ezra Klein's book, Why We're Polarized, is the most helpful thing I have read about trying to understand what's happening Um, as a pastor who's trying to serve a community with people from different places in the political spectrum. It's like, if if this is like exegete the context, I don't know a better read right now. Everybody should check Hmm. it out. Uh, Truth be told, before I went on my family vacation to Florida... I asked you and uh, right. the wordsmith and the let's be friends in real life chick uh, for book recommendations. And you recommended Ezra Klein. Uh, Annie recommended the Hunger Games prequel. And then Merritt yes. recommended a book called, I think, Circe. It's uh, Greek mythology. Uh, it's kind of like this narrative about, you know, one character. Uh, so needless to say, I didn't read... The, you or Annie's book. I went with the uh, Greek mythology book. You read the one that Merritt I did, yeah, and it was fascinating. I don't know how I feel about that. Well, Ezra Klein didn't seem very fun, and like this is... Wait, that was fun? It was, yeah. It w- the one that Merritt recommended? Yeah, it was a fun story about how, you know, this witch saved... I don't know, whatever. Anyway, it was fun. It was a good book. Man, I, I, I'm, I'm a little sad right now that, to find out that... My uh, recommendations. You're the one that asked for the recommendations. I was. Then, I, I know. I was fishing, and I figure each each of you would give me a recommendation, and I would vote on which one of you is the smart. Uh, which one of you had <laughs> the most appealing book? But for a vacation read, I think there should. My friend Wade Hodges years ago gave me the recommendation that on a vacation read, it should be a book that doesn't have footnotes. Unless I wrote it, then it should be okay to read on vacation. But <laughs> that's fair. Yeah, that's that fine. was it. So Ezra Klein. Okay, I need to check it out. That's it. That's all I want to put out there. Very good. All right, man. Good talk, Jay. Yeah, you too. Uh, You too? You too. Thanks for checking out Newsworthy with Norman. You're okay at talking. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You are now adjourned.